Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, it feels like it's been a little while. How are you, sir? Yeah, it has. I it's I guess it's a little bit longer than what we normally go between podcasts since we recorded last Monday, I believe, but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. What about you? Well, we still keep our perfect pod streak, so that's great news. We it, <laughs> it is not ab- it is abnormally long. But it's still within our, you know, we do one every week. In the off season, though, sometimes we get a little flexible, so it's nice because you're not, you know, hamstrung into one day, uh, and you don't release the pod too late or too early. So, um, anyway, it feels like it's been a while. You've been doing some traveling. I hope everything went well. Glad you're back. Glad you were not on an airplane today. I know that was absolute chaos. We had several people uh, stuck, but we don't need to do travel talk on the pod. We can skip through that segment. <laughs> Yeah, I could just like bash airlines yeah. on the pod for 10 minutes. <laughs> this is airline uh, talk. Yeah, no. No, it was uh yeah, my wife and I had fun. We had our plans moved around a little bit, but we still had a good time. So yeah, and like you said with scheduling, we'll be we'll record next Tuesday, but then we'll have another little bit of a schedule change. But I think it'll all work out because Kate, as you know, the transfer portal to enter for this round ends on January 18th. So we will record the day before that, and then we'll give it about a week and a half. You know, maybe we hear some coaching changes, some things trickle in from there. And then when we record that next week at the end of the week, we should pretty much know what the roster looks like going into spring football. Because by that point, if you haven't enrolled somewhere as a player, it's getting pretty close to where you're just going to wait until the summertime, I would right. think, because, you know, school started everything's getting going. It'll be several weeks into the semester. So we should have a pretty good idea of Oklahoma state spring roster going into that podcast here in a couple of weeks when we record later in the week, man, I'm looking forward to that, but I'm hoping Oklahoma state grabs a couple more D linemen before that podcast. Cause I <laughs> I'm excited, but I'm nervous about some of the, the position groups that are still hanging out there. We'll get into the transfer portal here later. I know a lot of people, Dustin, I'll call it the elephant in the room, are probably ready for us to talk about Alan Bowman. We will. We'll talk about that in the transfer portal segment of the show. It's going to be awesome. It's exciting that Oklahoma State finally gets their guy at quarterback. I don't know about you, Dustin. Earlier in the week, I mean, Sunday, if you would have said Alan Bowman's the starting quarterback at Oklahoma State next year, I would have said, wait, the tech guy? That's That would have been my answer. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly didn't even know he was in the portal. You and I heard some rumblings yeah. at I think it was late last week, beginning of this week, that Oklahoma State was yeah, it was late last week because he visited over the weekend that he might be a possibility. I was completely fine with it, just remembering the two times he played against Oklahoma State and had yeah. really solid games. I knew he had the injury history, but yeah, when we get into that you and I have been able to watch some film. I was actually able, because we heard some rumblings about it, I went ahead and started watching a little bit. So I've gotten in three full games. So I've got some notes ready to go when we get there. Yeah, I'm ready for that. Ready for you to fire from the hip. 
But let's just jump into it. There is plenty to get to. I, I was telling you off air, Dustin, I think the last time we talked, there were guys that have now found a school that were not even in the portal the last time we talked. So it's very clear that this is moving fast. There's a lot to get to. But I mean, Dustin, it, it has been a breakneck week and there's so much to get to. Yeah, I some key guys, some guys that you and I really like, you know, John Paul Richardson just announced he's committing to TCU. Bryson Green, there's I mean, one of the leading second leading receiver on the team last year with 584 yards. There's some rumors about him possibly OU, some other schools out there. I believe he visited Auburn as well. Yeah, I heard Ole Miss Bo- was in the mix too. Yeah, Ole Miss. And then Boogie Johnson, a young guy that you and I both really liked, had some solid games, had the huge touchdown in the bowl game, commits to Houston. So that's three guys I think you and I had on the depth chart moving into next season. You know, just hearing some different things rumors actually pokes report has reported a couple of things on some of these guys it sounds like john paul richardson was looking to be kind of that number one guy at the slot position we know brendan presley still on the team they were obviously going to split reps even though john paul i think was second on the team in targets behind brennan he's still going to split staffs with him because we know Oklahoma state's not going to completely move away from 11 personnel. They're bringing in Josiah Johnson at tight end. They've got Braden Cassidy coming back. Tabry Shetron, young guys like Quentin Stewart, you know, Blaine green, who we didn't see this season. If he stays at the Cowboy back tight end position. So I get it from his perspective. He wants more snaps. I, as a fan, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me, you know, but I think I understand from his perspective there, but that one's tough. Cause this is a guy you and I thought was one of the better players on the team. Uh, yeah. Bowl game captain. I mean, you don't get that as a sophomore for, for nothing. Um, it's a, I, I don't think Oklahoma state's had a crushing loss yet, but I would say John Paul is the one that I feel like hurts a lot right now and hurts more next year when Brendan Presley's gone. And when I say next year, I'm talking 2024 when Presley's gone, all of a sudden that inside receiver position, you know, you can reload in the portal, but there's not a whole lot there right now. And then Stefan Johnson, a young promising receiver didn't necessarily light up the stat sheet, but made a lot of key plays and big moments. And then Bryson green, who you said was the second leading receiver on the team stepped up in big moments Dustin, there there was a log jam at receiver, and there's really no way around this when you recruit at the level Oklahoma State does in terms of talent development. Like they were, there was gen, genuinely eight to nine guys that could make a case that they should be on the field. I mean, you just go down the list, Jaden. I mean, it's a lot of guys, and it's not shocking. I'm not, I'm not making light of it. But when you look at each of these situations, I would say John Paul is one of the ones that was the most confusing. Bryson Green, you look at he he was filling in for a Jaden Bray or at times an injured Braden Johnson. Well, Deshaun Stribling comes around. Okay, so now what does that mean for him? Then you look at Stefan, who additionally could have been a little bit buried in that depth chart as a young receiver. Again, not making light of it, but it is it is the double-edged sword with the transfer portal and the way Oklahoma state historically has stockpiled talent at the receiver spot. There's only one football to go around. 
Yeah, and Robert Allen on the other two guys, you know, we talked about John Paul. We'd heard some things there on the other two guys, Bryson Green, Robert Allen saying there may have been some, you know, a little bit of annoyance at the fact that Oklahoma State went and guy got a guy like Dejon Stribling from Washington State from Bryson and maybe some of Bryson's family included there. We don't really know what happened there, but it sounds like that might be a possibility. With Boogie, I think there was maybe, you know, what you said about getting kind of stacked up on the depth chart there, even though some guys are leaving now, along with maybe wanting to test the portal a little bit yeah. and maybe not thinking Oklahoma State was that great of a fit. We've heard kind of all three of those things. So I'm assuming it's a little bit of a mix of all of those. But, you know, when you see a guy like Boogie go to Houston, I I know Houston has put out some good skill talent, but I kind of see that one as more of a step backwards which we've seen with some of these guys like a Samuel Atuahalamaka, who we'll get to going to San Diego State. He, you know, he's a guy we talked about. I said on the last podcast, that's a guy I think should get 20, 25 snaps a game. He wanted to play more. He goes to a school like that. So I think with Boogie, it's a it's a little odd. You know, we heard some rumors about him maybe wanting to get back. I'm not really sure what happened there, but he's still got a lot of eligibility left. Kid, I, I think my thing. With and with John Paul on TCU, I do kind of get the move to TCU from his perspective as a player. Again, as a fan, I'm not a fan of it, but they're losing Tay Barber, Darius Davis, and Gunnar Henderson, yep. all guys that played in that slot spot. So he can come in, and I know they're they're restacking with a bunch of talent. They had a really good recruiting class. They've gotten some guys out of the transfer portal, but he could come in and be the starting slot receiver on a team that was in the national championship game. It's yeah. I mean, it's not hard to understand how that's an attractive option for a kid like that. I mean, John Paul was going to be the second option inside at Oklahoma state, or I can go to TCU who just played in the natty. They're going to reload and I can be the guy. Um, It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So let's, let's look then Cade at the depth chart right now. And again, we're going to do, we're saving our depth chart. We're hoping to do our depth chart extravaganza the, the week after the transfer portal closes. Our track sure, record. Our, uh, I'm sorry. Our track record would say we're going to do that earlier and often. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also just knowing what's been happening lately with Oklahoma state news, I'm sure Gundy will fire the whole coaching staff or something that week. And we won't even be able to talk depth chart, but some of y'all we'll would love that depth chart. <laughs> yes. We'll do a lot of depth charts, stuff, but I just want to look. So, kid, let me throw some names out at you. Jaden Bray's played both the X and the Z. I'm going to slot him at the Z here. So I've got Jaden Bray and Talon Shetron at the Z spots. And at X, I've got a mixture of Dijon Stribling, Leon Johnson III, the D3 All-American they just got from George Fox. And another name might surprise you a little bit, even though we talked to, we've talked about this on recent podcasts, I'm putting Blaine Green back in the receiver room and I'm throwing him back at that X spot to kind of take over for where his brother was. I think if, you know, if Leon Johnson were to beat out Blaine at that spot, you obviously move him back to Cowboy back because he's a guy you got to get on the field. But that's who I like at the X. And then lastly, at the slot, Brennan Presley, I think will take a bulk of the snaps. But I think when you can... You get, even though he's a bigger guy, we know he can play here. We've seen him play here. Even when he was at Cowboy back this past season, he played in the slot a lot. I'm going to put Rashad Owens back in the slot, which we've seen him listed on the depth chart in the slot in, in the past. So that's who I'm going with. Does that, I mean, does that wide receiver room, and I still think they could go get another guy. 
I don't hate that wide receiver room. No, I, I think Deshaun Stribling is going to come in and, and replace that production from Bryson Green, if not maybe add a little bit there just in terms of athleticism. I think he might be a better, you know, a deep threat and he might have a better route running ability, which was something we talked a lot about with Bryson Green. Again, not minimizing it, but I do think that there's a chance that Deshaun Stribling comes in and that's an upgrade at that position, which is similar to what Robert Allen was talking about. Is like it is the head coach's job to look at the roster and make improvements to it. And I would say Stribling is that. So then you look at you just look at your two outside receivers in Jaden Bray and Deshaun Stribling at your one. And then you go underneath that and it's Talon Shetron and then a combination of, as you said, I would put Blaine Green maybe above the kid from George Fox University if that's where they put him. Um, But I don't hate that either. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is how they use – how many wide receivers are on the field on a give at a given moment with the addition of an inline tight end. That's the thing that I'm kind of waiting to see because you would think that that would mean one less real like receiver spot at least in terms of snap count like they're not going to go away from that but snap count on that inside receiver or needing two of them may go down considerably which could be something you know to the john paul transfer as well but you know josiah johnson's coming in and i think he's going to do a great job it sounds like they're looking for more tight ends too so um i think this is probably indicating a shift in philosophy but it's a long way to answer your question. Yeah, I do not hate that wide receiver room at all. I think they probably need one more, but I'm talking like a long-term piece. I You don't want somebody yeah. that's going to piss off a talent Shetron or something like that. And, and that's the thing, kid. You kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. They had too many guys. We, we said before the portal closed, we thought a wide receiver was going to leave. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be John Paul Richardson, and I'm not trying to make light of that. I think John Paul Richardson is a huge loss. Not only was he one of our personal fan favorites, but like I already mentioned on this podcast, I thought he was one of the better players on the team. Casey Dunn noted that multiple times after games. It's tough to get both of these guys on the field in Brendan Presley and John Paul Richardson, and we want them out there as much as we can because they're two of our best playmakers. Yep. And when you think about Brendan Presley, Presley and John Paul, they do think they do things a little bit differently from that same position. So they were a great kind of one-two punch there. Didn't want to lose him. But when it comes to like a Bryson Green, and you talked about a Dijon Stribling or maybe even moving Blaine back to X, you've got Talon Shetron on the bench who hasn't even gotten much run due to some injuries. You know, maybe Talon and Dijon beat this guy out. And I love Bryson Green, but we've seen his deficiencies of getting off man coverage. We saw it even shine a little bit more glaring when Garrett Rangel was in at quarterback than Spencer Sanders. And like I said, I think John Paul's a huge loss. I think Bryson's a big loss, but I think you can kind of stomach the Bryson one a little bit more than the Boogie and the John Paul and Boogie more because there was such a high ceiling there. And he was so young, but I, I think those two, I guess what I'm getting at is those two are big losses. I can kind of stomach the Bryson one with what they've brought in. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with you on that. I, I think it all it boogie and John Paul are big losses. I would say if I had to rank them, it's one John Paul two boogie and three Bryson green. I think they are in a better spot there than they were at inside with, without John Paul. Yeah. And 
I think that, like you said, I think they can still get another guy. I've got a couple of names for you if we, yeah, if I ever lot. can shut up and we can get to it. But I, I've got a couple of names for you, Portal, and our guy that we called out that they ended up offering after the pod, Tyrone Broden. He was supposed to commit today. It was between Penn State and OU, and he has said he is not committing. I know you saw that on Twitter earlier because yep. we talked about it. I think he may want to take a visit to Oklahoma State, and that's why before he makes his decision. A little smoky, is that what you're saying? There's, it's a little smoky over there. Yeah, I know there's some other schools in the mix. And it sounds like OU and him may have lost interest in each other. Ah. So I think it's a, a time for Oklahoma State to come in. And he's another guy who I think has a couple years left, along with a Dijon Stribling, who who could be in the mix maybe for you know a couple years down the road. So that'll be good. But kid, I think we've got to hit on a couple of the guys that maybe either guys that we have been in the portal for a while or are depth pieces that weren't as big of a losses as some of these receivers. So we've got Eli Russ offensive lineman. We saw him play some center and some guard in his time here at Oklahoma state, just committed to Troy Thomas Harper, former nickel strike safety for Oklahoma state committed to Notre Dame. DeMarco Jones, former cornerback at Oklahoma state is at Tulsa. And then we still obviously have Spencer Sanders in the portal, who I know we'll get to in a little bit. But I really like the Thomas Harper to Notre Dame. I think he, I think he's a guy that shown shown some things on tape. Got beat at times down the field. Those out and ups really hurt him at times. But I think he's a guy, maybe not the full time starter for Notre Dame. I think he could be a guy that switches in there and, and could really contribute there. So I I like that move for Harper. Whenever it's a guy going for their last year trying to get that, you know, maybe if they can get jump up a level from Oklahoma State. I know some Oklahoma State fans don't like to hear it phrased like that. That probably wasn't the best phrasing. But if he can get his NFL exposure a little bit more when we've got some young guys at safety who might have been beating him out anyway, I don't hate that. No. And, you know, it's I'll say this, that Jim Knowles guy could recruit some defensive backs Look at Tanner McAllister, uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, and and uh, Thomas Harper. That's Ohio State, LSU, and Notre Dame. I mean, and I I don't really blame them for the exact reason you just said. They likely can get more draft exposure, which is a crazy thought in 2023. Like you can get exposure anywhere, but there is something to be said for being a defensive back at Notre Dame. Um, it's just unfortunate that it's, you know, really the third D back that has played a lot in the last two years that ends up at, at, you know, a borderline blue blood or a full blown blue blood in Notre Dame. So, you know, I wish the best to him. I, I agree kind of with the last part of what you said too. It seemed like some of the younger safeties were really pushing him at that spot where I'm at. So I, I, I don't think it's a big loss for Oklahoma State next season, but I, I like the move for him. Especially with how much time he missed last year with injuries, which is definitely not his fault. And him probably not knowing if Sean Michael Flanagan was going to come back for his last year, because if it's Harper, Sean Michael Flanagan, and Trey Rucker all competing at that strike spot, and I know Sean Michael Flanagan and Rucker can play other spots, and they have, but if the, all three of those guys are competing there, Harper's probably not playing as much as he would like. I don't know the situation at Notre Dame as well as I know the slot receiver situation at TCU, but 
if he's able to get more playing time at a school like Notre Dame, I don't hate that move. Again, as a fan, I would love for him to stay, but just looking at it from his perspective there. The other moves all are kind of stepped down. So we talked about Samuela. I hate the Samuela leaving because defensive line, interior defensive line is so thin. But if he's leaving, we heard it sounded like there's some news going around that he was pretty disappointed at how I think he played 22 snaps in the bowl game. He wanted to play more. If he was looking to be a full-time starter at Oklahoma state, maybe that would have happened next year (laughs) because of how thin it is in the interior defensive line. And I would love to have him as a depth piece, but I don't think he is talented enough to be a full-time big 12 starter at that position. And, And I've said that on this podcast before. Yeah, you have. And we also talked about it from a, pure depth perspective like he was important because you had really nothing else proven at that spot so now defensive tackle Dustin I mean is a huge question I mean it's not even a question mark I know what it is the question sucks and they need to figure it out quickly because it's it's not looking good at the current moment yeah I think you have to get at least and I know they just landed Justin Kirkland who we'll get to they got Eamon Oates Colin Oliver's coming or Colin Clay's coming back, Xavier Ross. But I think you got to get at least one more guy. And I'll at least even two. two I, yeah, I agree. To feel good about it going into next year. But I mean, that's pretty much it besides Jason Taylor. I just wanted to mention him before we get into the transfer portal. Going to the NFL draft, you and I, I think at first thought he might be coming back. We heard some mention of an NIL deal. Then everything kind of turned on its head. We heard Derek Mason kind of slip in his post-game bowl interview and Talk about Lear Cross taking over for Jason Taylor. So he'll be moving on. Not a huge surprise. I would have loved for him to come back. But again, we like the young safeties there. You'd love for a more experienced guy to be in that room. I'm hoping like a Shawn Michael Flanagan maybe comes back. I don't think he will. But it, it sucks losing that experience, a really talented player. I think he'll be a, you know, a later round draft pick, but I do think he's really athletic, so I think he'll he'll test well at Pro Day and if he's invited to the Combine. And his scholarship looks like it's pretty much just flipping over to Trey Rucker, who's now going to be on scholarship, which which I love. I think Trey deserves it. He showed out in the bowl game. You and I both really liked him when yep. he first came over. I got to watch him in that practice I went to and thought he looked awesome. So Yeah, yeah and quite frankly, I didn't even know he wasn't on scholarship. So I I love the move. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Dustin, I don't know of anything else really that uh, we're missing. Obviously, the Spencer Sanders discussion will have, you know, with it, in tandem with Alan Bowman later in the podcast. Anything else before we move right into the transfer portal? I think so. I, I was going to say this because we got a couple questions on it, but we might just mention it now. So the AFCA coaches convention ended yesterday. We talked about on last week's pod. Normally, Gundy makes moves, interviews during that convention and then we'll kind of hear the news either the next week or that week or the next week so that ended yesterday so if there were going to be any coaches coaching changes i think you'd look at like now from now and maybe like two weeks out i think would be like the prime time for him to make changes because you want to make them with enough time to get everything ready for spring football And you still got a a lot of time there, but I think you want to get guys in. It's past signing day. The transfer portal is about to close. Could be waiting until it officially closes on the 18th to make any moves, but I think that's the only other news. And then 
you know, I, I think before I flip it back over to UK, just shout out to Xavier Benson for coming out and kind of backing up the team. Even if things aren't going great and you and I don't agree with everything that's going on and we might be negative in some areas, but Xavier Benson just kind of coming up, coming out, backing everything up. He was on uh, the Locked On Oklahoma State podcast, talked about how he went to Mike Gundy before he tweeted talked about how good of a relationship him and Gundy have. So it's great to hear that because some of the rumors about Gundy not talking to players, and we know that is happening in some aspects, but this was kind of the polar opposite to that coming from Xavier Benson. So it was nice to hear that from from a guy like Benson and kind of showing his leadership there. Uh, great call. Great call. It's it's something that'll fly under the radar too as you know, the the topic of discussion is what's in the water in Stillwater. I mean, you, it's it's everywhere. It's on local media. It's on, you know, it's on podcasts. It's on <laughs> blogs. It's where, wherever you want to look for Oklahoma State news. It's what's going on there. So I love the call out because, you know, it probably is something that me as a fan, I, I wanted to hear that because there is some things that we, I mean, we've heard, everybody's heard some of these things that are concerning. It's like you want your coach to be involved, but you know it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not like he's you know locked himself in his office and doesn't talk to his players. I think that the Xavier Benson thing probably proves that. And then when you're not in the locker room and you're not there and you don't know how these guys are and how these coaches are, you and me and you and nobody else has a clue of, of the dynamic here. So it's always fun to speculate from the outside looking in. But just remember, you're on the outside, and so are we, and we don't actually know what's going on. So it, in that case, so anyway. Yeah, and sorry for not reading the full tweet, but if you didn't see him, just go check out Xavier Benson's Twitter. I'm sure they're near the top on there still. I don't think he tweets a ton, but basically just talking about the state of the football program and that they're going to they're gonna continue to stay loyal and true and keep moving forward. So it's pre- it's pretty cool to see that that stuff as well uh, with kind of a lot of the negative news coming out. Um, Kate, I'm ready for transfer portal. If you are, well, let's get into it. And reminder, you can sponsor this segment of the podcast, but Dustin, I'll flip it right back to you. Yeah. So I did want to just hit scholarship count real quick. Kate, I know you and I talk a lot about this off air. Robert Allen put an article out when Trey Rucker got the scholarship. So last week, saying that it, Oklahoma State's currently at 76 scholarships. They had Leon Johnson III and Alan Bowman commit this week. That would put them at 78. So I actually have the count at 84, which is one away from the limit. I think there's a th- there's three things probably factoring into why our counts differ. One, I'm bad at counting. Two, Robert Allen probably knows some of these super seniors that aren't coming back that haven't fully announced yet because he's a lot more plugged into the program. And three, there could be some of these guys, like a Ben Kapinski, that took a scholarship last year that maybe are giving it back in grad school, letting that be used in a different position. I don't think that happens very often that someone would just give their scholarship back. So I think it's more of the first two, but it's some, the amount of scholarships left is somewhere in the seven to two or three range. Yeah. So just as we move forward, I, I think that's what we're looking at. And then positions of need, you and I've talked about slot receiver. I think they could take another outside receiver, defensive line, offensive line, possibly another tight end. And it sounds like they want to take a high school running back. 
So that's kind of what we're looking at before we kind of dive into the full portal. Anything, Cade, that you think I misstated there? No, I think you're spot on. I I think the needs are clear. Uh, You wonder what, if anything else, if there are any more moves coming, I would expect that there probably are. And the window obviously closes, you said earlier, the 18th. So guys have one week to make that decision. I would expect at least one or maybe two more moves to the portal. Don't know who, but it's just like common knowledge at this point would say that there's probably somebody else that's going to go in there. So it's clear though, it's D tackle, it's offensive line. And the running back one is an interesting one. But when you look at that depth chart, it makes sense. It does make sense. I think they're looking for a younger guy to kind of load back into that room. Yeah. And I know they've got Ollie Gordon but and Jaden Nixon, who still have a lot of eligibility left, but losing a guy like C.J. Brown, I think you might want to replace him with another young running back. So Yeah, yeah I, I, it makes total sense to me. Okay, Cade, so some guys, I'm not going through the whole list again. I did that past two podcasts. If you missed it, you can go back <laughs> because, one, I know it annoys everybody, and two, I don't have the, I just don't have the breath in my lungs for that again. So I'm just going to do the guys that have committed since we last talked. We've got Marcellus Johnson, the offensive lineman from Eastern Michigan. You and I weren't really sold that he was going to come to Oklahoma State. I believe he visited, though. He recently committed to Missouri. Brennan Armstrong, the quarterback from Virginia, who you and I both really liked, left-hander, very mobile, had a really big 2021, has committed to NC State meet back up with his former offensive quarter coordinator who's the offensive coordinator there can Darren Ray, the safety from Tulsa has gone back to Tulsa withdrawn from the transfer portal. And then Isaac Tesla, I believe today the wide receiver from Hillsdale college, the division two has committed to Arkansas. So yeah. as we go through this, there's really not that many names left that we know Oklahoma state has offered who have not committed Again, you just have to enter by the 18th. You can commit whenever, but the reason why I think it's getting kind of thin in that aspect is what we talked about. If you're planning on being at this school in the spring, you need to commit sometime soon. I think we see kind of a break maybe in commitments for a few weeks, and then they start to come in again as we move into kind of that summer workout time period after spring football. So I I think we'll see a little gap there. So like you said, not only do I think we see more guys enter the portal as we hit to the 18th, but I think a lot of the commitments will kind of slow down to around that time period as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree there. It's interesting. You kind of called, I mean, actually, you called the exact day that Brennan Armstrong was going to commit. So kudos to you on that. You really kind of put the crystal ball out there in front of all of us. If 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 we were reading your tea leaves, it was he's visiting NC State. That's where, you know, his old offensive coordinator is. Once that happened, it felt like, okay, Oklahoma State might be on the outside looking in here. It's not a huge loss. I think they got a really similar quarterback, actually, in Alan Bowman in some ways. But I would say the Marcellus Johnson one, we didn't, yes, we weren't sold that he was going to come here, but that's now two, you know, power five, essentially, offensive tackles that Oklahoma State has had on campus in Savion Washington and now Marcellus Johnson that they weren't able to close the deal on. And that's unfortunate because both of those guys 
would have been instant impact type of offensive line the next year. So you, anytime you get a guy on, on campus like that, you want to close the deal. But, you know, hopefully there's somebody around the corner that we don't know about, like a Prince Pines, and maybe he'll actually make it to campus. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for giving me my flowers there. You're welcome. I think, Cade, let's just start. Let's just start with the hot, the hot item, the hot topic, the hot, the hot man, if you will. <laughs> I like his hair. It is good hair, and and we could have him on this podcast as part of, you know, we we have, we have decent hair. Yeah, Everybody yeah, knows that. Yeah, we're in the hair. I mean, they can't see us, but th- they should know. They, they should just know from our voices. It's yeah, it's it's a voice thing. It's a confidence thing. So anyway, we'll cut this part out. <laughs> we got Alan Bowman. Coming from Michigan, former Texas Tech quarterback, one year of eligibility left. Seen him listed anywhere around 6'3, 6'4, between like 205, 220. I, I'm going to go 6'3, 217. He played in eight games as a freshman for Texas Tech and threw for 2,638 yards, 17 TDs, seven interceptions, with a nearly a 70% completion percentage. Due to some injury issues throughout the rest of his time at Texas Tech, he only played in 11 more games, three in 2019 where he threw for over 1,000 yards, six TDs, three interceptions with a 66% completion percentage. And then in 2020, eight games, threw for 1,600 yards, 10 TDs, seven interceptions with a 65% completion percentage. He's got a career 67% completion percentage. And during his two seasons at Michigan, he came in, tried to compete with the spot with Cade McNamara. And obviously, J.J. McCarthy takes over the next year. Been more of kind of the coach on the field. I know Michigan's QB coach is up in the box. So I know he did a lot of kind of coaching on the sideline as one of the more veteran guys in the room. Didn't play a lot there. I think, what, eight attempts in those two seasons or something like that. Cade, how do you feel about it? I absolutely love it. Um, I don't know who else Oklahoma State was going to go get that fits the bill as well as he does. You know, I mean, it, Brendan Armstrong was a one-year rental type of guy. Yeah, Alan Bowman, I will say, is slightly um, more of an unknown than a Brendan Armstrong, I think, because there's so much time since he's really been a high-level player. Um, but, I mean, goes from Tech – and he was a phenom at Tech. Like, he was a household name uh, in this conference at Texas Tech. Has injury issues and goes to Michigan. I mean, and Michigan is recruiting the lights out at the quarterback spot. I am I think everybody was probably surprised to see them go to that more mobile, you know, option, even heavy type of style at some point um, to where he doesn't necessarily fit that. But he is a gunslinger. He's got excellent touch on the deep ball. And I would say is really what Oklahoma state needs for just on the field, but even the off the field intangibles and the ability to lead that room next year with a bunch of young guys. He honestly, like if he, and this may be a tough question on the roster today, Dustin, does he remind you more of Flores or Rangel? Cause I think I have an answer. I think it's Garrett Rangel. I know, I know our guy friend of the pot, Adam Lunt agrees as well. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, a a little bit of a gunslinger, big arm, but he's just got a lot of touch on the deep ball. And here's the thing, Cade. This guy's super confident. I've actually went back and listened and watched some Michigan breakdowns on him whenever he committed there a couple years ago. He was willing to walk on 
because he that's how confident he was that he could make an impact for this Michigan team. Obviously, it turned out he was maybe a little too confident as he didn't win the job. But you love that confidence in a guy. This is a he's also someone that has spent time and was recruited by Cliff Kingsbury, has spent time with Jim Harbaugh, even though David Yost's time as offensive coordinator at Texas Tech didn't work out. He's a guy who's historically been known as kind of a QB developer and whisperer. Those are three names right there who all have, I, I mean, Yost and Kingsbury have more of a similar style, but Harbaugh is a little bit different. That's a lot of experience. He's been around some good quarterbacks at, in his time at Michigan. I mean, we see Michigan in the college football playoff. He know, he's been on teams that have won. He's been on teams that have lost. I think this is probably as good as you could do in the portal once Brendan Armstrong committed somewhere. And I know, I know you'll say there wasn't that many options left. Now there's some new guys committing in the portal. I really like Bowman. I think my only concern with him, and we'll get a little bit more into the film stuff, is you know he missed four games in 2018 because of a collapsed lung. Then I think he had issues with that lung again. He missed nine games in 2019 with a broken collarbone. And then he missed time in 2020. You know, I said he only played in eight games there with an ankle injury. Is he a guy that can play a full season without getting injured? I hate hate using the term injury prone, but when it's this many injuries, and I know some of them are freak, like the collapsed lung and broken collarbone is maybe even a little bit of an odd one. The ankle one is pretty normal for a quarterback. We see Spencer Sanders struggle with the ankle at times. But, Kate, is he somebody that can compete for a full season? But also, well, does it matter with, well, I, with guys you want to develop behind him? I think it's – yeah, it depends on your goals for the season. If you want to compete for a title and win 10 games, um, he's going to have to play a full season. And he's going to have to be as good as he was as a freshman and sophomore at Texas Tech. So there has been some time since he's been that prolific – I would say that's my main concern with him. I would also say the elephant in the room is, can the offensive line protect him? I know everybody's probably listening to this thinking, oh, great. So we put a glass statue back there behind an offensive line that can't block. I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think the pass protection should take a significant step forward next year. I don't know if you agree with that, but just from what we've discussed, I think that that's a possibility. But he he's going to have to play a full season if they want to reach their goals, which I think are win 10 games, reach the conference championship. But to your point, him being on campus already helps a Zane Flores or a Garrett Rangel uh, in their development stage for all the reasons you listed. Yeah, and you're talking about a guy who has a 67% career completion percentage compared to Spencer Sanders, who has a 61% completion percentage and a lot of the a lot of those throws in the David Yost era. So I was able to watch. I went back and watched two games from 2020. I watched Oklahoma State and Texas, and then from the 2018 season, I watched Houston. I'm going to watch a couple more games before I do the full Twitter thread. And you might go look at the stats from those games and be like, well, "Those were three of his best games." I tried to pick the games where he threw a ton of passes, and he threw, I think over 50 in two of them and nearly 50 in one of those games. So I wanted to watch as many passes from him as I could. And a couple of things stood out to me, Cade. So in 2018, according to PFF, I went and just kind of, you can do a lot of cool stuff on PFF, manipulating some of their data and being able to kind of look at some different things. It's not just your blanket 
stats that you look at, and this isn't a PFF ad, just saying to know how I got to these numbers. In 2018, when he was with Kingsbury, they threw it downfield a little bit more. Yost is more of a, it's kind of a power spread type Oklahoma State offense, but it's a lot of first read, pre-snap read of the defense, get the ball out of your hands quick. So in 2018, he threw the ball down the field more. So I looked at all quarterbacks that had 35 or more attempts of 20 plus yards down the field, which is what PFF counts as a deep ball that got the population to 111 QBs. I wanted to try to keep it around hundred. He was 15th in adjusting completion percentage on throws 20 plus yards down the field. And what adjusting completion percentage is, is that your completion percentage adding in the drops and kind of the aimed throws that were on target 15th out of 111 QBs on throws 20 plus yards down the field. And then looking at the 2020 offense, which I just talked about with Yost, where it was more get the ball out quick, get it into a good spot. He maintains that high 60% completion percentage, but he was first in average time thrown of all quarterbacks with 200 or more dropbacks in 2020, 2.15 seconds. That was, again, 110 QBs. I tried to keep the population around that area. The fastest average time thrown of all quarterbacks in 2020. And he kept that extremely accurate passing percentage, which I believe was like 66% that season. That just basically what I'm trying to get at with those two stats is he can do multiple things and he has done multiple things, even though he hasn't played in two seasons. Those are two almost completely different areas of the passing game. And he's excelled at them both. I think the thing that gets me excited, he did such a good job running an exceptional scheme with Cliff Kingsbury, but he can spread the ball around and that quick release. If you go back and watch that 2020 game, which is a great game to watch, it's against your Oklahoma State Cowboys. It makes a lot of sense when you watch it. He is extremely quick to get the ball out of his hands, but he is accurate in kind of tight windows and in traffic, which is a welcome sight. I, I know that there's a lot of people that wished for more of that uh, with our previous quarterback at times. I think he's going to bring some of that like gunslinger and accuracy in those tight windows in that like four to nine yard window, like range. That's where he, ex- it seems like he's really comfortable with. And then what I think he brings to the table the most in terms of his arm is his touch on the deep ball. Just go back and watch. He throws, and really he can throw it off his back foot. He can throw it off balance. Or when he steps into it, it's as good as it gets. And that's what gets me excited because I think Oklahoma State can get back to a little bit of what it feels like they've always wanted to do and hit you way down the field. So I'm excited to see what they do with him. Yeah, and like you said, I did want to mention this. You said he came out hot in his career that 2018 season, his first four games. So the opponents were Ole Miss, Lamar, Houston, and Oklahoma state. He threw for 1,557 yards, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions on a 72% completion percentage. And he walked into Boone Pickens stadium and kicked OSU's butt. I mean, it was like, who is that guy? I remember that. I remember thinking Alan Bowman's a problem. So a little bit more on kind of his pros and cons, since that's what you were hitting on just now. One thing I keep seeing, and you mentioned the word statue when you were kind of talking about what, you know, like, that's not what he is. I I keep seeing comparisons to, 
his mobility comparisons to Brandon Whedon and Mason Rudolph. That's a bad comparison. It, Alan Bowman ran a, I, I went and looked, he ran a four, seven timed 40 coming out of high school. So you would think at, even with the ankle injury, you'd think as you get stronger and faster, that probably improved a little bit. I'd probably say if I had to guess, I'd probably say he's probably in the four, six, seven, four, six, nine range. Now that's the same as Garrett Rangel ran coming out of high school, four, six, eight for comparison. Randall Whedon and Mason Rudolph Whedon's last time was four, eight, nine and Rudolph's from that combine time frame was a four, nine. That's quite a bit slower than a four, seven, four, six, eight. So he's definitely more mobile than that. And you see it when he's rolling out, he throws really well on the run. He doesn't look like, you know, I love Brandon Whedon. I think he's the best quarterback in Oklahoma state history. And sometimes when Brandon Whedon would roll out, it looked almost painful for him to get out of the pocket. It doesn't look like that. It's just the fact that, and I keep seeing people referencing Bowman's negative nine yard ru- yards rushing. Those include sacks, and he did not. There weren't a lot of designed runs. Tech did do, especially with Yost, a lot of zone read stuff. But they weren't reads. It was a straight up keep for the running back. And how you can tell is that Bowman isn't reading anything is a lot of times that defensive end, the guy he would be reading, that edge player, is crashing down on the run and he's not keeping it. It's not the wrong read. It's it's not a read. It's just yeah. a handoff that looks like the read play to keep the defense honest. So I would compl- I I would say he's definitely more mobile than I think he's being given credit for by the Oklahoma State fan base right now. I think in terms of mobility, he kind of falls in that like Hunter Deckers, Blake Shapin, maybe at the bottom of that grouping of of Big 12 quarterbacks. Like he's not a statue. He is he's more mobile than Illingworth was more mobile than Brandon Whedon and probably less mobile than a Clint shelf. Like that's the best way I can describe it. Like, I, I don't know how else I can do it. <laughs> yeah. So, and then just in terms of scheme wise, Cliff Kingsbury, obviously a little air raid guy. We've talked about that, but the air raid concepts, the why, the why stick, the, you know, the mesh, those types of things. He took some more deep shots when Kingsbury was there. It was a little bit more. I even looked this up on PFF just to make sure I wasn't seeing this on film from the three games I watched, but it was a little bit more straight drop back as opposed to play action or RPO. And then with Yost comes in, he's got the, he's got that same kind of spread spacing, but he loves to go tempo, loves to keep it simplified, adds in the hybrid tight end, that H back, and then goes with the downhill running game. Like I referred to it earlier, kind of that smash mouth power spread, but a ton of 11 personnel in Yost's scheme, which will fit in really well with Oklahoma States. We know they like to go heavy 11 personnel, flex the tight end out. Sometimes they'll do quads. They do a lot of that zone glance RPO, which we saw Garrett Rangel run a lot last season. They'll do some of that zone hitch RPO, a lot of hitches, a lot of quick outs, a lot of outs to the opposite hash. His arm is nowhere. I don't think it's as big as Spencer Sanders arm, but he can make those throws. And like you mentioned, I think his, and we talked about the completion percentage and it's a lot of high, like, high completion percentage throws he's making in that 2020 and 2019 season. But even on throws outside of that and on the deep balls, his touch is probably my favorite attribute of his love his touch. I think he's got a good enough arm. I think he's mobile enough to run Oklahoma state's offense, similar to how Garrett Rangel was running it. I don't think you have to completely change 
what you're doing, even though yeah, I know you and I and a lot of the fan base agreed that something should change there. But just saying, I think he can come in and run that offense. I think where I'm concerned is the injury that I talked about. And because even though Michigan's offense is set up to kind of go through progressions, things like that nature, he didn't get a lot of in-game reps there. With Yost offense being so quick, first read, read the defense pre-snap, get the ball out of his hands, I'm a little concerned at his ability to go through progressions if the defense takes away those first reads from what they've seen on film because a lot of the interceptions he threw in that 2019-2020 season were because he read the defense wrong pre-snap and just fired the ball where he thought it should go when it gets picked off. Yeah, that that would be a concerning deal if if a sixth year senior comes in to be your gap guy and and doesn't do those things well. I think that's going to have to be a requirement because if not, say this, if he does come in and he's turnover prone and there's other issues with him, I would think the leash is probably not the not as long as it was with somebody like Spencer Sanders. Let's just put it that way. I think the leash is probably a little bit shorter because you may have the allure to throw a Garrett Rangel back out there, continue his development. And if it just doesn't work with Bowman, which I don't expect to happen, this is kind of a break glass in case of emergency scenario, but you would throw Rangel out there and just say, okay, this is a wash. We're going to try to get our guy some development. So again, I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, if he does come in and, as you said, doesn't get past those second and third reads and throws the ball into coverage, it's going to be a quick, you know, a, a quick honeymoon is the best way I could say it. Yeah, I do think he has a lot of experience. I'd love for him to have played some more snaps these past two seasons. I don't think, you know, he's a world beater by any means, but I also don't think he's a game manager. You've seen him win games at Texas Tech. When they had terrible defenses. So I think he's a guy that can come in and win you games. Kate, what I wanted to ask you is how do you think this changes the season win total ceiling moving from a Garrett Rangel to an Alan Bowman? Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you. So um, I, (laughs) man, I I don't think he's as dynamic as Spencer, both with his legs and his arm. So you say he's not a game manager. Say he's definitely closer to a game manager than a Spencer Sanders. But I'll say this a game manager would help. Like they didn't have yeah, that and last he can do year. That. That's, I mean, Spencer that's what Michigan down. asked their quarterbacks to do at times. So yeah, 100%. I know he has the ability. So Oklahoma State won seven games with, you know, a hobbled Spencer Sanders and then, you know, inept quarterback play from, from multiple young guys. I would say this puts me at eight and a half wins as the like over underline. And I would probably take the under, but I, I, the schedule lines up. Well, at least we think yeah. we don't know exactly who we play, but yeah. I think bringing in Bowman bumps you from, you know, hoping to make a bowl game, hoping to get good development out of Garrett Rangel to, Hey, we could win eight or nine games. Like yeah. you said, I don't think it moves you. And again, we still want other pieces to fall in place. We're saying if they, you know, if they round out the transfer portal with, you know, D linemen, things like that nature, which we've already talked about. But if everything falls into place there with the guys they've got out of the portal, I think an Allen Bowman can get you to eight or nine wins. I don't think you're a 
Big 12 championship contender. But like I said, maybe, you know, if, if Bowman's able to come in and kind of pick up where he left off and stay healthy, he could win you a close game with a big throw late in the game. So we'll kind of see from there. But yeah, I, I like that eight and a half. I like that eight, nine as kind of the where you're aiming for to be a successful season when you bring in a guy like Alan Bowman. Well, I, I kind of like the Clint shelf comparison, not necessarily in terms of like quarterback play, but in terms of like caliber of quarterback play, Clint shelf wasn't a world beater with his arm. He was really dynamic with his legs at times, but overall was probably a B quarterback. I mean, is that fair? If Alan Bowman's a B quarterback, I think Oklahoma state can make a run. If, things like the offensive line and defensive line fall into place. That's the bigger if to me now than, you know, an Alan Bowman, you know, throwing for 3,300 yards and, and a handful of touchdowns. I think that's a given if he stays healthy. The more important thing to me is, is play on the offensive and defensive line and, and specifically defensive tackle. I think that's become, you know, problem one, two, and three for me. I mean, if he can, if he can have a, uh anywhere near like the season he was having in 2018 where he's throwing for 2,600 yards with 70% completion percentage, 17 TDs and seven picks. I mean, maybe you want that pick number to be a little lower through eight games. I mean, you extrapolate that out for a full season. Picks are probably a little high, but you're going over 3,000 yards. You're going 25 touchdowns and you're probably keeping it around that 69, 68, 70% completion percentage. If you round out the transfer portal with a couple more D linemen, another receiver, another O lineman, I know I'm asking a lot. I'm not saying these are all guaranteed things to happen. That's a team I like. I like sure. to win eight or nine games. I would season. say it's a dark horse. I would say. Yeah. I, I, I think they would have some issues with some of the other schools that seem to be probably reloading. Like TCU, I think, is going to reload. I think they may be really good again next year. But I do think it puts you above the above the five line and if you're above the five line in the big 12 you're competing and i think that's what this does and and we may be talking ourselves into it but that's that's what we uh that's what we're here to do so kade a couple more questions before we move off quarterback i want to hit spencer sanders but i want to ask you how do you feel about the kind of opposition to let's not take alan bowman or anyone since Armstrong committed to NC state and let's let Rangel and Flores battle it out. And whoever wins gets some development next season. And we just kind of take it as a lost year. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I don't think, I don't think the program can afford a lost year right now. Um, just the way things went, not every seven and six season is made equal. There are a lot of inspiring seven and six seasons that took place in college football. That was not one of them. And I lost a year by your own admission. Like you're saying, I'm going to accept this as a lost year would not be something the program needs. I think that's crazy. I Alan Bowman elevates you at the quarterback spot, which elevates your offense. And I, we we've said it since the I feel like the middle of the season. What are they going to do at quarterback without Spencer Sanders? Because behind him, there's not a whole lot. This this makes me feel a little bit better. And another offseason under the belt of Garrett Rangel. I don't know if you heard this on Pokes Report, but uh, Robert Allen gave Zane Flores a little bit of an edge to win that spot. Like 
in front of Rangel. So I don't know what that means, but it is interesting and and noteworthy because you know what what happens if Bowman goes down. Yeah, and I think there's still so much eligibility left, obviously with Flores and even Rangel because he's going to be able to take the red shirt from this past season. So I know Gundy talks about the 15 in game to fully develop. But there's still so much time there, and I think I think you want both of them to be in the weight room with Rob Glass, like you said, develop at practice, learn from a guy like Alan Bowman who's going on his sixth year at 22 years old. So I, I like it from all those perspectives, and I agree with you there. And before we move on to the other commits, talk a little bit about Spencer Sanders. I know he still hasn't landed somewhere. I heard may, maybe there's some things going on with credits transferring and things like that, but those are all rumors, so we don't know a lot about that. One thing we do know, though, that has been reported now by 247, by Perks Report, I've seen some stuff on Rivals about it, is that Gundy and Sanders for sure talked about him possibly coming back. And all of these same outlets are also reporting that players on the team currently were opposed to Spencer Sanders coming back because of how he handled himself through some of the practices and other things leading up to the bowl practice, things of that nature. Again, these are media outlets now reporting this. So I think it's a step above rumors, but I don't think anybody knows exactly what happened except Mike Gundy and Spencer Sanders. However, if that's the case, you and I were both on the, even if Spencer made Mike Gundy mad, Mike maybe yeah. lets him come back. But if, if all of that's the case, I, I don't know kind of where I land on that. I know that's not really what we do on this podcast to speculate on that part, but I definitely wanted to at least bring it up and mention yeah. it on here because it kind of adds to just the, what the heck happened with that whole situation in general. Well, I think that's still the question. And I, I said it was a, a dumb thing to let Spencer Sanders walk. But that again, I'll go back to something I just said earlier in the podcast. That's that's not being in the locker room and knowing the dynamic and what actually like specifically took place. You can really get any rumor you want nowadays if <laughs> there are a dime a dozen. But that's that's kind of the disadvantage that we're at. We don't truly know. And if there are players on the team and notable players that are like, yeah, let that guy walk, which is kind of what it appears is happening. Uh, then yeah, there's got to be some fuel to that fire. And, you know, it's probably a good example of like, maybe we should trust Mike Gundy a little bit more. He, he probably knows what he's doing. And I'm guilty of this because on, on last week's podcast and, and elsewhere, I said it's the dumbest thing he's ever done as a head coach is let Spencer Sanders, like I, I took it as him letting his ego get in the way. And it appears that that's not necessarily what happened. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It would be great to, you know, one day learn what actually happened there, but it it definitely isn't a great look on either side really. <laughs> and then just not knowing where Spencer Sanders is going to land, it almost kind of shows you what can happen sometimes in the transfer portal. So We'll see what happens there. I, I'm sure wherever he lands, he's for sure going to compete for the starting job. I mean, and and going back to the Alan Bowman talk, anyone you know saying comparing Alan Bowman to Spencer Sanders, this is a step down sure. from Spencer Sanders. The dynamic ability alone that Spencer Sanders brings in the run game makes him a step up. But I also think his you know he's got a bigger arm. Bowman may be more accurate, but the just the knowledge of the offense. 
the knowledge of the personnel that Oklahoma State has, even though a lot of receivers have left, make this a step down. I think what you and I were getting at when we were talking about Bowman is we don't know how much of a step down it is truly from Brennan Armstrong, aside from the fact that Bowman hasn't played in the past two years, which is, yeah. which is a big deal. Yeah, it, it it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's it's going to be one of the most talked about things around the Big 12 next year is how does Oklahoma State bounce back and is Alan Bowman ready to go? And I, I'm excited personally. A little bit of new blood at the quarterback position is is exciting for for an Oklahoma State fan like me at least. So I'm, I'm excited. And you and I wanted somebody. So and yeah. they got somebody. So. I, I would say they did as good as I thought that they would do. I mean, I didn't think that they were going to pull in like a DJ Uyungle. Like I thought that this was more along the lines of. Uh, the type of player they'd be able to go get. Yeah. I really wanted Armstrong. I know you know that because I yeah, told you a I million did too. times. But I like I like what they did with Bowman. I think it was a good job to get somebody. And even it's a even though it's a guy that hasn't played in a while, when he did play, he was electric at times. So I love it. And kid, it kind of we can kind of segue straight into the next guy. And I'll, I'll kind of kind of just go through a couple of them real quick. But Leon Johnson, wide receiver, someone that Bowman may be throwing to from George Fox in Division Three. He's All American. Also played baseball at George Fox. I think he retired from baseball this past season after a labrum injury. But I know as a freshman, he hit three hundred two, two sixty nine as a sophomore, stole a bunch of bases. So anybody that's got that two sports skills, you know, Mike Gundy's going to love. But 55 receptions this past season, 1,156 yards, 14 touchdowns. I had seen initially that he had two years remaining, but it's everybody's reporting now that he only has one. So he's, like I said, All-American, Northwest Conference Offensive Player of the Year. He had offers from Arizona and San Diego State. After he visited last week, got a little nervous. And I mean, if you don't care that they they got him because he's a D3 guy, maybe you weren't nervous. But I personally was a little nervous because he got the Arizona and San Diego State offers while he was on the visit or that that's when they were reported. Thought maybe he was going to leave and not commit. But I think he's a big commitment. 6'5", 207 pounds. With only, if he really truly only has one year of eligibility remaining, I think he plays next year. I, I mean, I, I think I haven't watched enough film on this guy but if Oklahoma State brings a guy in with one year remaining at the wide receiver spot, you'd think they think he's good enough to slot into the lineup. I, I love that point because I think what a lot of people are probably thinking is, okay, is this guy really going to go from D3 to Power 5 football and and fit in seamlessly? I think it's, it's a question I've got. But I love the perspective you just gave because he's he's got offers elsewhere. And Arizona is a Power 5 school. It's a really good point that I hadn't considered about him. Uh, I love his size. He seems to be pretty athletic. I think you have to be to be able to do both sports. So I like the pickup. It's not one that I'm holding my breath on, but based on what you just said, I I might be a little more excited about it than I once was. I love when I can talk you into things. Yeah, so, me too. Next, we've got Justin Kirkland, defensive tackle, formerly from Dixie State, now called Utah Tech. He's got three years left. He's a little bit older, though. 21 years old. We mentioned on the last podcast he took the religious mission. We had heard he was going to commit. So that happened like right after the podcast. Yeah, we're good we talked that. a lot about him on the last podcast. What He can play that zero or one tech. I, it looked like at Utah Tech. I, I've only been able to watch the one game against Sacramento State. 
but he played more of a three, four tech in those games. Played all 11 games as a true freshman. Still got a ton of eligibility left. He's a monster. His picture where he's flexing, his arms, he looks like a WWE wrestler. He's very, very, like, overall, I think, athletic. He played a bunch of different – he played basketball, tennis, track and field in high school. I think my only concern with him, and I'm not saying guys that are 6'4", 300 pounds need to be fast – but more of a lateral quickness as well, which we saw from a Sioni Asi who had that. I haven't seen that yet from Kirkland on film. I'm going to watch some more on him, whatever I can find. It makes me think he might not be a guy you plug and play right away. He might need a little development. And I love that they got a defensive lineman. I'm not saying this is a bad pickup, but I really wanted some guys you could plug in and play right away, which which I think an Ema Notes is yeah. from NEO. I don't know if that's Kirkland. Yeah, I agree with you. It sounds like BYU like swooped in kind of at the last the very end. Yeah. Yeah. But so I think that's maybe a good indicator of, you know, maybe a another validation of what Oklahoma State and Cincinnati saw. as well. So there you go. I mean, that and he's huge. He's he's a humongous guy. I and I'm be, dumb. My my analysis could be wrong. Okay, you're not dumb. Let's let's pause and talk about that. No. I think he's going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be next year. And I think they need guys that you feel really comfortable playing next year. Yeah, I agree. Next, your guy who you actually, thank you for bringing this up last time. I missed him in my notes, which going back to me being dumb, Josiah Johnson. You are welcome. (laughs) This guy, Cade? This guy. This is fun to watch. He's got a 41 minute long highlight tape on YouTube. It's not even really a highlight tape. I think it's most of his snaps <laughs> it's from last season. And a lot of them are from an all 22 view. If you want to go check it out, definitely do. I watched the entire thing, had a great time. He's 6'5, 235 pounds, one year of eligibility. I think he's a guy that comes in right away and plays more of a tight end spot that we've talked about. And I think maybe you see a Braden Cassidy playing more of in the backfield fullback when he's out there. And, and Josiah is playing more of a tight end. So maybe sometimes at H back and then split out wide, which he did all three of those at UMass. He was split out wide in the slot a lot. He played an inline tight end a fair amount. And he was in the H back spot for the majority of the time. So he's got a ton of experience. They used him in GH counter a lot, which is when the backside guard and the H back are tight end on the backside, both pull around, which we've talked about some gap seam stuff. So he has, he's done that out of the H back spot. He's done it out of the tight end spot slot fades. He's done screens, the fake screen release, which we've seen from Oklahoma state. He's run out routes. He knows how to split zone block. He had an offer from Boston College as well. His girlfriend is the daughter of former New England Patriots quarterback Scott Zolak, which I think she's coming to Stillwater as well to work on her architecture graduate degree. Kate, I know everything you need to know about this guy, and I love him. Well, that's outstanding. I mean, okay, two things. One, the 41-minute highlight tape is like you and I releasing a Greatest Hits album and just <laughs> re-releasing every podcast we've ever made. So I'm going to pitch that to you. We could talk about that off air. 
But <laughs> I think with Josiah Johnson, it's versatility. I mean, everything you just said points you to a versatile athlete. And it's like, I think a lot of Oklahoma State fans, I've probably been more quiet about this, but versatility at that cowboy back slash tight end spot is not something that Oklahoma State ha- has had. Braden Cassidy is a good player. I would not say he's versatile. Would would you? Is that off base? I mean, he, he's good at what he does, but he's not going to be a guy that can. He's go more to, of a fullback. He's not going to go do. The I think you just said that Josiah Johnson can go do. I love the pickup. I I can't. I, I would say outside of uh, Alan Bowman, the way that Oklahoma State incorporates the tight end next year is something I'm just like fired up to figure out because I it has not been something we've seen since like it feels like. Pettigrew, Brandon Pettigrew feels like the last time they had a true tight end. No, it's not true. It's, from what we're hearing, it sounds like they may even separate the tight end position as something completely different and have the cowboy back almost be, I don't know if they'll change the name, almost be more of a fullback. Like we see a lot of teams that Oklahoma State has gone up against do, you know, most recently Wisconsin on their depth chart, they have a fullback and a tight end. Kansas State on their depth chart has a fullback and a tight end. I don't know if Oklahoma State will actually put that on the depth chart that they're two different positions, but I think scheme-wise, we're going to see a shift to that. From the people we're hearing this from, I think there's a strong chance that that happens. Now, we always hear a lot of stuff in the offseason. We'll see how it plays out. I think, Kate, just to do one negative on him, on his split zone blocking, not so much in pulling because it's a little bit different, but like on his split zone blocking, on his zone blocking, he sometimes does a great initial kind of punch with his hands and doesn't really lock on and move the guy out of the hole or move the guy where he wants him to go. It's kind of an initial big hit, which worked against, I think, some of UMass's opponents, which UMass played some decent teams, but I don't know if that'll work in the Big 12. He, I think he's got to kind of improve on that part. I think he can do it. They're just... In his 41-minute highlight tape, there wasn't a lot of that. But I do think he has the skill to do it. I think when he gets here with McIndoo and Coach Dickey, they'll be able to help him with that part. If it's something he can't do, maybe he just didn't do it in there. I need to watch a little bit more. But he's the guy that can make moves after the catch. I really, really like this guy. I think 50 receptions, 500 receiving yards, and five touchdowns in his career at UMass – uh, they used him as a wildcat quarterback a lot too. 18 carries for 82 yards and two touchdowns. He also threw the ball nine times and he played quarterback in high school. So just a complete all around athlete. Yeah. I think this is maybe one of my favorite pickups in the entire portal by Oklahoma state. Yeah. He's a big kid. I mean, he's like big and athletic and fast and physical. Like I think it's really everything you would probably he's want. Fun. Yeah. He, that's a great way to say it. Great three letters you just put. Uh, fun. He is a fun player to watch. He's very active on social media. Yep. I know he's uh, affiliated with Barstool, which I, I feel however you want about Barstool. Just kind of, I'm trying to point out the fact that he's. It seems very outgoing, like a fun guy. I'm sure he'll be great to interview. So it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun to watch him. And and Kate, that's really it out of the commits. I think outside of that, unless you had anything else on Josiah, we can talk about the. I think three guys that are still pending, and then I can give you a couple names. Yeah, I think that's great. Let's just hit these quick because I think two of the three we've talked about before. First one is the one we haven't. We can spend a second on him. Arlen Bruce, the fourth, the Iowa wide receiver, has not yet committed. 
I think there was some smoke with a couple of schools early. I think Mississippi State is one that he visited. I think that's where the on-three portal has him favorited to. But nothing has come of that. So I think he's back in. He's 5'10", 198 pounds. Iowa, we, we know they have some deficiencies throwing the ball in recent years, but they used him as a slot, an outside receiver. They handed it off to him a lot on jet sweeps. He is the son of Arlen Bruce the third, who played at Hutch in uh, Kansas. Shout out to Hutch. One of my good buddies, Tyler, played baseball there, and they had a, have had a ton of great Alvin Kamara. Guys like that have come through there to play football. Great uh, junior college. But then his dad went and played at Minnesota, played for the Chiefs, the 49ers, over 11,000 receiving yards in his career at the CFL after the NFL. And his dad's cousin is Isaac Bruce, huh. former Hall of Famer. So related to Isaac Bruce, Ar- Arlen Bruce got a great pedigree there. I know outside of Mississippi State, I've only really seen Fresno State, Tulane, some smaller schools. I know he's got a couple more recently that I don't think I have listed on here. But this is a guy that could come in and fill the John Paul Richardson role. There's been some rumors that he may be tied to Carson May, the Iowa quarterback, who I know has some Oklahoma State ties being from Jones, Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma State offers May. I think they could still get Bruce without that. We'll see. I I do like May. I mean, I'd be fine if they offered him. I don't think he does a lot to your quarterback room going into next year. I liked Rangel more than him coming out of high school, but back to Bruce, I think this would be a huge pickup if they were to get him. Yeah. I mean, he four star out of high school, I think probably underutilized at Iowa, as you kind of alluded to. And the pedigree helps, by the way, I, I grew up in Wichita. We played Hutch, not Juco Hutch high school in everything. And I don't know what they're feeding those boys up there, but it was not a fun time in any sport. They were so good at everything. So oh, you, they've had, uh, I, I know them well. The guys they've put into the NFL have been pretty insane. I yeah. Cordell Patterson, I believe, is Hutch wow. as well. Just some some stuff. I, I know this from my buddy that played baseball there. We, we talk about it quite a bit. Normally, it's me asking him to just tell me the same stories over and over. But <laughs> uh, Bruce, we like. The next two guys won't talk a lot about because we talked about Broden earlier. Walter Rouse, the offensive tackle, the left tackle from Stanford. He may have committed by the time this podcast is out. It sounds like it's going to be Nebraska. And then Tyrone Broden, the Bowling Green wide receiver. Receiver, Like I mentioned, he's the 6'7", 210-pounder. Sounded like OU and Penn State, but he's visited both. Was supposed to commit today and did not commit. He came on Twitter and said he's not going to commit today. I think Oklahoma State still has a shot there. He had a lot of big-time offers. So those are really the only three Cade, of offers that we know of at the time of recording that have not committed. I think if I had to pick one of those guys that I want the most, I think it's Arlen Bruce. I think Tyron Broden is a good player, but I do think he's a little bit of a duplicate player. Don't you think? I think Leon Johnson might've been that type of receiver. Unless you could talk him into playing tight end. But now if you could do that, (laughs) that would be outstanding. I like Bruce as well. Okay. Cade, got a couple names for you. Rapid fire, like last time. I'll give you <laughs> some, you know, their height, weight, where they're at, where they were at school, and then just some quick stats on the position they play. So first guy I've got for you, and I'll run through the position. I've got them in order this time, so I can do wide receivers and then ask you about them. So I don't have to do nine dudes and then be like, hey, tell me about these nine guys you've never heard of that I just rattled off. Perfect. Sounds so, good. Okay, so first we got Damian Alford. 
210 pound receiver from Syracuse. 522 snaps last season, 20 receptions, 249 yards, two touchdowns. He was the class of 2021, so it's got several years left. Got Emory Simmons, 6'1", 188-pound slot receiver from Indiana, Was also has also transferred once. He was at UNC. Last season in Indiana, 37 receptions, 208 yards, and one touchdown. I think he still has two years of eligibility left being in the 2019 class. But we'll see there. And then I've got two more for you. Gary Bryant Jr. It's look, he's from USC. It's looking like he's going to be Miami or UCLA, but he's another slot guy, 5'11, 180 pounds. He was in the class of 2020. Last season, or last season didn't get a lot of run at USC, which is I believe is why he's transferring. But in 2021, 44 receptions, 579 yards, and seven TDs out of the slot. And then the last guy is an outside receiver, J. J Michael. Sturdevant, he's from Cal, class of 2021, 6'3 and a half, 185 pounds. I think he's closer to like 195 now. 65 receptions, 755 yards, seven touchdowns last year at Cal. So a lot of these guys, I think I, it would be great to add an outside receiver with several years of eligibility, but I think you and I are both focusing yep. on a slot receiver now. So that would be Emory Simmons and Gary Bryant Jr. Do either of those guys pop to you? I would say Gary Bryant Jr. would be the one out of the two that you mentioned that I would pick. I'm wondering, so he's been in the portal not for a super long time. I think it's been like a little bit over a week. The fact that there's been Miami and UCLA smoke since he first entered and he hasn't yet committed makes me think he's still looking at his options. If they were to get him and have Gary Bryant Jr. and Brendan Presley next season, that would be I the the thing about having a guy like Alan Bowman who throws these quick hitches and quick slants a lot and has a lot of experience throwing them and puts them on the guy or on the guy in stride if it's a slant or a glance route, the slot receivers are gonna dominate with him at quarterback. So if I was a slot receiver, I'd want to come to Oklahoma State. Not that any not that Gary Bryant Jr. is listening, but come on down. GBJ, well, come on do down. You, do you want do you want some message board, you know, stuff? Do you want anything that I could offer you? Because yeah. right now there are two notable names that follow him on Twitter. One of them is Marcus Arroyo, and the other yes. one is Todd Bradford, Oklahoma State's director of recruiting. Our guy, so, Todd Bradford, who we put, love. Put a pin in that one. Just saying, I didn't know that before I threw him out here, Kate. This is all just me trolling the. Portal. This is the value in you talking and me trying to figure out how many rumors I can stir up. I mean, I'm I'm <laughs> trying to figure out the Sturdivant kid as you're talking, so who knows? Okay, Kate. So offensive line, defensive line, there are not a lot of guys. I again, I'm trying to look at guys who have entered recently. I know what probably is going to happen is Oklahoma state's going to look back at the guys who haven't committed now that it's getting closer to the January 18th date, but that's just, it's a little too difficult for me to do at this time because so many guys are rumored to places and things of that nature. So I'm just going to give you some guys that entered recently, some offensive linemen. I've got Ethan minor. He played over 1,969 snaps at Arkansas state at center and left guard. He's six, three, about 300 pounds. Dustin Hall spells it differently than me with a Y instead of an I. He played 108 snaps at left tackle, 133 at center, and 1,328 at right guard from South Florida. And then Jeremiah Banks Wall 
is an offensive tackle, 865 snaps at left, 128 at right from Bowling Green. He's a 6'6", 270-pounder. And then 6'6", 325-pound offensive tackle from San Jose State, Hedrell Lewis. He's played mainly right tackle, but also had some snaps at left guard. So Lewis has been in the portal for a little over two weeks now and hasn't haven't seen the Oklahoma State smoke. Jeremiah Banks-Wall seems a little undersized maybe for Big 12 football, but those are the only two tackles I really like that have entered recently. I personally would love a guy like Ethan Miner from Arkansas State. Yeah, I think he only has one year of eligibility left. And I think I think a guy like that coming from Arkansas State, where he was good, but not, you know, he's not obviously not getting looks from everybody, all the big time schools. He may be someone that comes in and wants to compete at guard and be a backup center. A hundred percent. And that may be the type of guy that they're looking for right now is that depth piece. I mean, if they can go get a Marcellus Johnson or a Savion Washington, they're going to do that. But yes, to your point, I do think you need to fill the coffers out a little bit with as much talent that can play, you know, in the middle, at guard, at center that you can. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, defensive line, I had a couple guys, but I'm not going to go through them. N- nothing that really stuck stuck out to me for other than guys that we'd mentioned before. We That's mentioned good. a lot of That's tight really ends. Good. We mentioned a lot of tight ends on the last podcast, so won't go through all of them again. I'm sure some moral inner. But we definitely think defensive line and tight end. I, I think, like I said, once we get close to the January 18th date, which maybe even is now, the Oklahoma State coaching ta- staff is probably going to look back through the portal at guys who haven't committed that they maybe missed through the first run through. And you might see some, not even offers go out. You might just see some rumors of a visit and then a commitment from another offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. That's how I think it would go down in regards to those two positions. Yeah. Hey, speaking of this, one thing that I meant to talk about with Bowman, we we've heard, you know, schools watching who's offering who, who's bringing who in for a visit. They snuck Alan Bowman in. It felt oh, like yeah. it, 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 there was not a lot on it. We caught wind of it, but beyond that, I think a lot of people were like, whoa, I, it, and it came out of nowhere. That's intentional. Yeah. I think you're going to continue. I think the rest of the Oklahoma state commits, unless it's a guy they've already offered. I think if anybody else commits that they haven't already offered, I think it'll be similar to Bowman where, and a Sean Tyler, where you get a commitment Maybe you hear some wind of that guy visiting, but you never see an official offer and then you get a commitment. Yeah. I think that is probably how it's going to go down as this portal kind of winds down until we get into more of like the summer football area. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Uh, Cade, I think that just a couple of quick recruiting things I wanted to talk about. They they sent a couple of offers out. Uh, Tyke Andrews from Enid. They've got um, Michael Boganowski from Junction City, Kansas. Alexander Shield Knight from Wagner. Those are some guys we can talk about more in the future. I wanted to mention one, Zane Flores was Gatorade, Nebraska Football Player of the Year. And then an interesting JUCO offer, not rated on 247, but a 6'5", 300-pound defensive tackle from Diablo Valley College in Spicy. Concord, California. Or sorry, uh, offensive tackle, sorry. They sent out an offer to him recently, 6'5", 310 pounds, like I said, started for the Diablo Vikings, helped him do a 7-4 and record. He was at Wyoming 
before JUCO. He's got offers from Auburn, Liberty, Texas State, wow. UNLV. He won't be eligible until May, but I think this is a good offensive line depth piece. A guy that, you know, if there were to be injuries, he could play as early as next year, but a guy you bring in to maybe be in the mix in two years. And I wouldn't hate it if there's nobody they like yeah. in the portal for them bringing in this guy. I don't even know if I said his name. Sorry. Mana. I mana. I was going to say, you. I was trying yeah. to avoid, I was trying to avoid saying it because it's uh, a little funky, but a little bit under the radar guy, except for the fact that he's got the Auburn offer. Right. I don't even, I haven't even seen much mention about him from Oklahoma state media sites, but I do think that would be a good pickup as many offensive linemen as they can bring in until they hit the scholarship limit. That's it right there. I I would, if it's not a offensive tackle, I mean, offensive lineman, defensive tackle or a slot receiver, I would, I would pass that. That's, that's, I think the, the scope has narrowed. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I agree there. Uh, okay. I think it, it's going to be interesting to see how it winds up. Okay. Thanks for letting me, uh, thanks for letting me go off in the portal. Again. I, I am thankful for your ability to go off in the portal. My friend, you do a great job. Thank you for putting that together for us every week. I feel enlightened as we exit from the portal. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. Before we move on, we've obviously got a couple of basketball games to talk about quickly. A couple of questions to answer. We'll take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast all right dustin Lots going on in basketball. We talked before this last podcast that Oklahoma State probably needed to steal one, and their best chance to do that came on the road last night. We're recording on Wednesday night. Their best chance to steal one came in Manhattan as they tightened the game up under three minutes to a point. Dustin, they had the ball in their hands on a shot clock violation touch and go type of call but they were about to walk in for a point lead with under two minutes left and ultimately kansas state pulls away a couple of really great plays at the end of that game but it really caps off what i think was as frustrating a week as i can remember for for oklahoma state basketball the texas game was brutal and that was that was a gut punch of a loss yeah i think you know at the beginning of that K-State game with Caleb Boone just absolutely going off and no Musa Cisse in this game, it looked like Oklahoma State was going to, and, and you know, I've watched Oklahoma State basketball, I've watched college basketball, I know there are runs, but it looked like they were ready to play, coming out ready to play. 
And then you see the guards just continue to struggle. I saw, I think it was Zach Lancaster from Pokes Report showed the averages of Bryce Thompson, John Michael Wright, and Avery Anderson through the last two games. Bryce Thompson, five points, one of seven from three. John Michael Wright, five points per game. He's three of 10 from three. Avery Anderson, 2.5 points per game, 0 of 5 from 3. And he he played limited minutes against K-State because of his wrist injury, which Mike Point alluded to after the game. But those are the three guys we talk about every podcast, specifically Bryce and John Michael, that need to be in double digits every single night. And, you know, they're just not doing it these past two games. Caleb Boone can make up for some of it. Caleb Asbury helped out against K-State. But... If you're only getting a combined eight points from those three, it's tough to beat anybody, much less the, what, number 11 ranked team in the country? Yeah, they're 15 and one now. Like, you you need your guys to step up and play. Caleb Boone has done all he can do, I think, in these last two games. I mean, the the production from the guards has been, outside of Caleb Asbury, who's had two really nice games, th- there has been nothing. I, I, and it's not even a... a a debate at that point like i tweeted this last night and i don't like tweeting things like this but when it's so profound and striking i mean in both games there were two stretches in one in the texas game and one in the k-state game both of these stretches totaled over 15 minutes resulted in four points total it's not field goals made four points i would say that right there there's so many, uh, so many reasons for that, but it's the main problem they're they're running into. Yeah, and they they struggle against the line at the line against Texas in that Texas game. Not to go backwards, but I didn't see the official stat on it. I know you just gave part of it, but there were eight minutes left on the clock, and I had to watch this game in replay because I wasn't able to watch it live. I was out of town this weekend, so I watched the replay. So I knew what the final score was because I had the stat broadcast up. And I saw that they were two points away from the final score with eight minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that can't happen. And I know, again, at home. back to what I said earlier, I know it's college basketball. I know it's a game of runs. I know in college basketball, the reps are terrible on both sides. But that's too long. And you, and you gave the stat and you laid it out perfectly. You, you can't have that happen. That's not refs. That's not that's not officiating. That's guys not making shots. And if you watch that game last night, Dustin, they were getting decent looks. Like some of those just are not going in. And it's it's surprising because I mean, you look at KU, they're raining it in from 3. They can't be this hot and cold. I would take a 35% every night type of shooting performance and you know what you get. But we're halfway through the season now and um it's it is crunch time and they're now one and three in conference they had two opportunities to steal one they've played an extremely difficult schedule but that's not an excuse when you look at the way those games unfolded both of those games they were within one and two points within eight minutes uh, of the of the final whistle and they lost by nearly double digits in both of them yeah, and you you got to get more. I know you're without Cisse. I get it. He's one of your better players and and your best defender on a really good defensive team. Probably future NBA guy there. But you got to get more from your other bench players. And you know, Ad, Asbury adds 15 against K State, but no one else really does anything. And 
I, Chris Harris has done some good things earlier in the year. I know he had uh, the cool alley-oop. I know he's had some games where he's had several assists. But him and Woody Newton these past two games have given you some bad minutes. They've given yeah. you some good minutes in stretches. But overall, I think they've been a net negative in these past two games. And and I like what Woody Newton brings to the table, especially with the fact that you know he, he's been able at times to stretch the floor with the three ball. But I, I think you got to get more from those guys. When Keon gets out there, I know he's a young guy, but he's got to give you more in his 10, 11, 12 minutes. And then maybe you need to give Asbury more minutes. I know he played 27 against K-State, but maybe he should take a few of the minutes from Great. a Newton and a Harris. And I know they don't play the exact same spot at all times, but get, get your better players out there. I mean, I know you got to give guys a blow, but... Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson can play close to the whole game, every game, if they need to when they're not injured. So I think you could shorten your rotation even a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Well, I I would be well, I would welcome that. A guy that's played actually decent in really short spurts is Chris Harris. Like he's he's come in and made shots. I mean, he's he's kind of a liability defensively, but I mean, you need points. And I think you'd be willing to give up a few if you could score more. So I don't envy Mike Boynton's position right now because he's probably wondering the same things we are. Like, why can't multiple career like Bryce Thompson was recruited and was a five star because of his shooting? Like Caleb Asbury is a career like I think thirty nine percent three point shooter or something like that. The, the ball's just not going in the hoop, and so they yeah. they they can't fix that with yet, especially when they're open looks. I don't know how to fix it. I don't envy Mike Boynton's position. They have to win this game on Saturday, though. I think Baylor yeah. is reeling, and I will say they're they're running into a hungry team in Baylor who is winless in conference. But it is an unranked Baylor, and you, you gotta go get one of these. Gotta get one in that stretch. Yeah, hopefully, see Mike Boynton said he's still not able to jump well after the K State game. I love Tyreek Smith. I love him though as a depth piece, a, a you know a rotation big man. I think you got to get Cisse back, but if not, you need more from Anderson, Thompson, and Wright specifically Thompson and Wright. So, yeah. I, I guess Cade though, outside of the actual games, there's some good news. Well, it's a big a big deal today with Eric Daly committing. Four-star, the second-highest-rated guy that was still on the board. Anytime you can get somebody from IMG Academy, I think you'll take it. But Mike Boynton goes into Florida and plucks out who a guy who I think probably is underrated. There were, At times last year in his recruitment, there were people talking about him as a potential top-10 recruit. I don't know exactly what happened, but you watch his tape, Dustin, and it pops. I mean, he can shoot it. He can put it on the floor. He looks like LeBron when he dunks it. Um this is an exciting prospect because I think he's a three-level scorer that Oklahoma State doesn't have on the roster right now. Yeah, he he's left-handed as well, which you always love from a shooter. His shot, I know, I, I know, like he may not take a ton of threes. His three-point percentage may not be insanely good, but when you watch him shoot the three-ball, the mechanics look there. Yeah. So whenever you have good mechanics, whenever you have a guy that's a good free throw shooter, normally that can translate into better shooting as they continue developing, get with better coaching staffs. He's at IMG Academy, which obviously has produced a ton of talent. It sounds like, I, I know, kid, you mentioned it being kind of weird, like him kind of becoming a little underrated. I think because he reclassified, 
everyone thought he was just kind of going to kind of blow up this year and go to the NBA because he's eligible for the draft, not the G League, because he did that reclassification. And I think that maybe is what happened. Maybe he didn't have as good of a year to be able to pop as much on the draft board. So it's great, though, getting him over Memphis. You know, he has ties with Brandon uh, Garrison and Justin McBride. Mike Boynton coached him in the under 18. So it's really cool to get him in here. Still maybe missing a point guard of the future. You know, you got a Jamiron Keller. I don't think he's a guy that can step in right away and play the point. You got Connor Dow, who's a shooter. And who, you know, in that six five range, but I think they still need to figure out what they're going to do at point guard moving forward. However, I love the daily pickup, it's big time, and it moves Oklahoma State into what ninth in the nation, yeah, in, in 247's recruiting rankings. There's which some is big time, there's some rumblings too that they, they may not be done. I'll, I'll point to a guy, I mean, David Castillo out of Bartlesville is a five star player. There have, there has been rumors of a potential reclassification. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's something that has to have already happened by then. But he's 2024, right? He is. He's next yeah. year, but he's like a top 20 recruit. And he is the point guard that you're talking about. And it does like segue us into a discussion about like scholarships because Oklahoma state has several seniors on the roster right now. The important thing you need to know is like, none of them have used their COVID year yet. So Technically speaking, anybody that's on the roster now, minus Caleb Asbury, who has exhausted his eligibility after this year, can come back. But I think it's worth walking through this. We got a question on Twitter from Poketown06. Appreciate the question. Like, let's look at guys like Avery Anderson, Bryce Thompson, Musa Cisse. Those three, I think, are probably the guys you wonder most about. It would not surprise me in the least to see two of them move on. I mean, Avery's flirted with the NBA draft twice. Musa Cisse was a borderline lottery pick coming from Memphis, and he decided to come back into school and then came back to Oklahoma State. So who really knows what he's planning? But the way I counted this, and Dustin, I don't know if you have anything different, is that they've got 11 scholarship players on the roster right now. So technically they're probably carrying that one from the NCAA penalty that doesn't apply, but there's a chance they could lose five players. There's also a chance they could lose one. So I think it's up in the air, but I think the writing is a little bit on the wall with the class that they're bringing in, that there may be a little bit of a changing of the guard coming. Yeah. And and I think that's fine. You know, the, you could transfer in basketball as well. We talk about the football transfer portal. If you're bringing in young guys that you feel good about and you feel like you fully develop some of these older guys, you can have that conversation. It happens all the time in other sports as well of, Hey, maybe it's time to kind of move on from here. We've got, you know, we're not sure what your role is going to be next year. If it's a guy that's maybe thinking about the NBA you know, maybe they end up going. So we'll see how, thank you for looking that up, but we will see how it shakes out. But it, it's really exciting. Boynton brings in these great recruiting classes. I know we want to see a little bit more on the floor, but you're in the Big 12 Conference, so it's a little tough at times when you're playing a top 10 team or top 15 team every night. But Boynton definitely keeps the excitement there for basketball, just in the fact that he continues yeah. to have these great recruiting classes. Man, if they just win one of these, the, I think the fans are dying. But if you, I mean, I was at the Texas game on Saturday. 
it was not a good thanks uh, for the invite show. yeah well i'm sorry <laughs> uh, olivia was there she took your ticket fine. I'm sorry. I'll, fine i'll i'll ground her for that um grounding my three-year-old but the <laughs> attendance was terrible i mean for a top six looked team bad. on the road it was pitiful and i it's hard to blame them i mean it's hard to blame these oklahoma state fans that aren't diehards it's not a lot to get excited for right now. They need to go get a couple of wins and string them together. That's the thing that they have not been able to do. But right now, I'll just take one. Yeah, I agree. Well, we can hey, move, right we move into questions. We should. And what I think we'll go ahead and do, we got a lot, like a lot, like more Twitter questions than I think we've ever had. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. You guys would tune, turn the podcast off anyway. <laughs> but what we will do, We'll go ahead and start with one from Kyle. Hey, guys, at Kyle2SB. Now that the face of college football will never be the same because of the transfer portal, do you have mixed feelings about teams like Oklahoma State being and looking completely different from year to year? Uh, you're not seeing these kids develop, grow in front of your eyes. And if they do develop, a lot of times they're going to transfer somewhere else. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit uh, mixed feelings about it. And I love college football. Just wanted your guys' thoughts, and uh, thanks. Love the show. It's a great question, Kyle. It is weird. I mean, guys like John Paul Richardson didn't used to transfer. Now they do. Um, I will say it's just that it, everybody's dealing with that, like losing young guys. But it's, I don't know. I think I've adapted. I don't love it, but I think, it's just the way things are now. So it doesn't bother me as much, but you know, I, I could definitely see it, you know, uh, tampering my excitement year over year over year. If this is the way things keep going, I could see that. I didn't know where you're going to go. We're going to go. when you said the word tampering, talk about oh, transfer. Portal. Oh, you mean TCU? Oh, did I say that out loud? My bad. <laughs> I love the question. And thank you for the kind words. I think I'm, I think I'm in the same boat with you, Cade. As a fan, just solely as a fan, I would prefer, you know, to have continuity on the teams because that's the college football of old and not to sound like an old man, like get off my lawn style. I just, you know, I like that better. You can even watch the guy kind of develop through yeah, the program. Sure. And I know guys transferred here and there, but um, I like you though, I'm, I've adapted to it now. I know this is the way it works. The transfer portal is fun to talk about on the pod. It's fun to look into. It's all, and you and I both love recruiting football yep. and basketball, all yep. sports, really Oklahoma state. And so this kind of is another branch of that now. So it's exciting, but I agree, Kyle. I think I, I'm with you that it, I, I wish I maybe wish it wasn't as prevalent as it is now, but maybe we see some, you know, I, I saw right for the pod and a rule NCAA adjusted a rule they might keep doing that. It might get back to a little bit more to what it used to be. So we'll see. Yeah. I, it's a great question. And I, I could go either way on it, depending on who's transferring. So. All right. We're going to hit, like Kate said, we're just going to hit a couple on Twitter. We're going to do kind of a first, the first questions that we got today. We'll answer some of those. We'll do like six or seven here. A couple that aren't really questions. Just some, just some mentions to us. We've got our guy, Royal John OSU at wasted optimism. He says, are we dead? And then he thanks us with a thank you there. I already responded to him on Twitter and said, no, thank you. So thank you, Royal John for that. We're not dead. We're not dead. The program's not dead, but who knows? Who knows? At some point Uh, we'll all be dead. So (laughs) our guy, David Welchel 
at Stilly underscore Vanilli. He said, who did we fire? Nobody yet. I think he's referencing our question that we like to ask at the beginning of the podcast. We got two from our guy, Poketown. We answered one already, so we'll skip past the other one. Uh, we've got Caden McCombs at CadenMC underscore. He says, thoughts on new GIA versus old GIA? Oh, this Do we is have good. expanded or, ex- or not expanded that much? Texas game attendance, Cade, like you just referenced, was a little shocking to me. Saturday, 11 a.m. game with a top 10 team. Cade, I'm going to let you fully take this one because I, I don't have a point of reference for this one. Well, I, w- I never went to a game in the old Gallagher-Iber Arena. That, I'm oh, did, that, you, did you not either? I'm that young. No, we're, we're that young that we never got to do well, that. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have existed in Oklahoma then. No, I but you're so young that it would have <laughs> never happened anyway. True. No. True. I'm trying to help you here. Um no, Very I young. I do not know what old GIA was like. And I also know that new GIA has been full before and it has been full recently. They've got to just start winning games. I think when Kate Cunningham was on campus, and that wasn't a COVID year. That place was going to be packed out for Bedlam and for Texas, West Virginia. I mean, that it it was a real uh, bummer that that was the case. And I think it probably would have quieted a lot of this. However, you look at Texas and others building new arenas that are kind of in the eight to ten thousand seat capacity, and Gallagher I was at like fourteen in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I mean, you look at Allen Fieldhouse, they pack that place out in Lawrence every night. Um, it's a different animal, though. OSU's just got to start winning games, and and the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think you laid that out perfectly. Thanks, Caden, so much for the question. I think it's a great question. It is. It is. And we love the basketball questions as well. So got one real quick from Bill Minat. Uh, Kate, I might just take this one real quick because yeah. we talked about it a little bit already. He's at Bill, my geo guy. He says, not to beat a dead horse, but coaching changes. As of this tweet, nothing has happened. If that stays the case and the offense next season is as bad as it was the last half of 2022, Gundy has to completely clean house on the offensive staff, right? So, Bill, great question. We talked a little bit about we think if there were going to be coaching changes, they wouldn't have happened until at least today with the AFCA convention. So if there were going to be some, I think like you would look from now forward. I I, I just don't think Gundy would have done that just based off what they've done historically. And to answer your question, if the if the run game was as bad as it was this year again next season, yes. If he doesn't make any changes, let's say like to your question – if the run game was as bad as it was this season next year, then yes, I think you do need to make some sweeping several changes on the offensive staff. And Kate, if you disagree, let me know. But that's that's kind of nope. where I'm at. No, if it's like this again and they didn't make a change this year, sweeping changes would be, a, I think, all I'd be willing to accept. Agreed. Uh, Corbett Klein, at Corbett Klein, he says, number of scholarship QBs you should keep on a roster – Will it be more difficult recruiting a four-star QB with Flores Rangel having an edge going forward post Bowman? Do you take more of a project or local kid? I'll flip this over to you, but we've talked about this before, not only off air or not only on the pod, off the pod. I mean, I think you want to have at least three. You want to try to have three scholarship QBs on the roster. That's got to be the number. Yeah, If you're getting into a spot where your third string QB is a walk-on that you don't feel comfortable in, you're in a bad spot. Because like we've seen this year, like 
I mean, you're going to need a wide receiver to be an emergency QB if you're in that <laughs> if you're in that state. You need a John Paul Richardson there. Now, on the second part of the question, I love the question, Corbett. Thank you so much. Will it be more difficult recruiting a four star with Flores and Rangel on the roster? And do you take more of a project or local kid? No, I don't think you do. I think you continue recruiting quarterbacks because I don't, it's not only Oklahoma State that's in a situation where they have two talented young quarterbacks coming in. Every Power Five school is trying to have as many talented young and veteran quarterbacks on the roster as they can. Guys are going to transfer. That's just how it is now, unless some rules change, which we talked about on on the previous question. You continue recruiting the best quarterbacks on your team. And if you bring in a four-star guy like a Rangel, a Sanders, a Flores in the next class and a Rangel or Flores leaves because of that, then you just do it again the next yep. year. I, I mean, Kate, if you disagree, I, I, I'm like almost 100% positive that's what the how the coaching staff is viewing it, though. Amen. Amen. I think if there's a guy that wants to come here it's kind of like the bryson green thing it's not going to be handed to you you don't get to just have the spot because you played it i i I don't think it's as simple as that with the quarterback spot i think the number is three and i think if you're down to your third scholarship quarterback at that point why would you why would you need a fourth because the season's probably already off the rails so i wouldn't want to use a scholarship there Um, but i love the way you said that guys are going to transfer it's your job as a coach to bring guys in that want to be here. I, I know, you know, uh, Sam Johnson from TCU uh, just entered the transfer portal. Dude's got a rocket arm, is blazing fast, could be a fit in an Oklahoma State offense at some point. I'm trying to manifest this. Would it tick off some of the younger quarterbacks on the roster? I would bet absolutely. So, but that's part of the game you have to play now. And by the way, I'm not, that's not a rumor. I'm just using that as an example. So, yeah, no, I completely, I, I completely got what you're saying there. Now, I love that question. I, you and I could talk about quarterback recruiting and recruiting philosophy forever. I we love do that question. We do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've got my guy, Robert Dennis. He asked one last week. We didn't get to it. So he asked a few, we'll kind of wrap. I'm going to rapid fire these at UK okay. and Robert. <laughs> thanks so much for asking this. He's at RT Dennis, one of my buddies. So what's the latest on any possible football recruiting changes? Any football ACA convention, recru- I guess. <laughs> you said recruiting changes or coaching coaching changes. changes sorry. Okay, sorry. no, no, no big deal. Changes. No big deal. Uh, there is no latest. <laughs> AFCA is happening this week. It wasn't going to have happened yet. I kind of hope it happens soon, though. Is what I'll say. And the reason why I'm rapid firing these, Kate, is because some of these are really good questions, but I don't really want to answer them because I don't know the answer. So. What coaching changes? So I look any, stupid. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What coaching changes, if any, would you like to see? I mean, I feel like we've stated this on the pod already. A lot. A lot. I. It would be an offensive line change for me. Number one, I would. I would love to look at potentially repurposing a cowboy back coach. This is tough to say because we're talking about specific people and their jobs, but I, I think the tight end changes things. For that position. And then lastly, um, if you don't have those things fixed, I'm not ready to pull the plug on Casey Dunn yet, but I'm close. So I, I think I get one more year and I, I think it'll be better. I just, I feel that way. 
Yeah. And then he says, who would you hire? Since I saw that one earlier, I can take that one since that's that's a tough rapid fire one. If we're just talking about offensive line, a name, Cade, that I had like had whispered into my ear that I ever so sweetly whispered into your ear shortly after from a very close range is Daryl <laughs> Funk from BYU. He's been around a long time. I don't know how much different that is than having a guy like Charlie Dickey. I mean, they could have completely different personalities, but a little bit similar in age. However, he's a guy who at BYU, you know, BYU has run the outside zone scheme really well. They've done some gap scheme stuff. He's a name I'm going to throw out there as offensive line since since you just said offensive line. It. So I know it's kind of random. It is. But that's a name, a name that was whispered to me that I – looked into and and I, and I like it. And then to kind of wrap out, wrap up Roberts, he said, are we done with incoming offensive line transfers? I don't think so. It may end up being a Juco guy, but I don't think we're done. I, I don't think so. I think they need it so badly that there's no way. It's kind of like the last. Yeah. Agreed. The last one we're going to do is orange vision vision at underscore orange vision underscore. He says, what is the ceiling for Oklahoma State next fall, and what is the floor for a team gaining its footing back from portal exits and new in- entries into the program? We kind of hit on this, Cade, but if you want to just kind of give those numbers that we gave earlier. Again. Yeah, well, I think I even have maybe a, a a new a new take on it, not changing. I do think you're probably on the outside looking in from the Big 12 title race, but I think you're probably in that four to five range. But then I think your floor is an injured Alan Bowman and a young quarterback being thrown into the fire again. And then you're kind of right back where you were this year. Oh, unfortunately, Oklahoma State won a lot of games before the wheels fell off. So if that happens early next year, man, I I don't I hate to say this, but I think the floor next year is like four wins. Is that is that bad? If if Garrett Rangel were to start the season or like even a let Flores battle it out, if one of those guys were to start, I think your ceiling would have been seven-ish wins and your floor is missing a bowl game. So four or five wins, yeah. like you said. And we are not knocking Rangel when we say that or Flores. We just it's develop it's a it'd be a developmental year where you lost a bunch of key wide receivers we still don't know what's going to happen with defensive line in the transfer portal there's some new guys on defense who we think really highly of but if they don't work out we're talking floor here so I, yeah i don't think that 4 or 5 win range is unrealistic now if allen bowman stays healthy all year they're able to pick up another piece for defensive line, I think I think offensive line, it's more of a depth piece at this point and maybe a slot wide receiver. I know it's, again, I said this earlier, I know it's asking a lot, but if they are able to do some version of that, I think that eight and a half, nine win yeah. range is really realistic. And I think Alan Bowman could come out and really surprise some people in a good way. Some people that may be down on getting a backup a technically, I guess, a third-string quarterback at one point in his career at Michigan, getting that guy to Oklahoma State might you know, not look as great. But if you go back and watch some of this film when he was playing early on in his career and actually getting a lot of snaps, like I said earlier, he looked really good at times. Well, I mean, if he stays upright, the first three games of the year next year are are – pretty weak <laughs> it's central arkansas arizona state on the road 
and South Alabama. If he stays upright, I would expect some some relatively large passing numbers, and I think that would get some people excited. I think people just want something through the air right now down the field. I think people are just dying to see a completed, you know, 40-plus yard pass down the field with regularity. So, And, hey, quick passing game, that what? can make up for the offensive line at times and make up for the run game. So sure we've seen Texas Tech do it for years. Not that I'm saying we should model our offense after some of those old-school Texas Tech air raid teams, but if you need to rely on that at times, you've got a guy in Bowman who – knows how to operate that offense. I think some of us are thinking it's time to become Texas Tech on offense, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Dustin, that was great. Any any final thoughts, any questions that we need to run through? I know this was a long one, but this, this was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I just, how long is it going to take me to start the Alan Bowman Heisman campaign is the one question I have. I thought that was the shirt you were wearing right now. Is that not <laughs> it? Oh, this Sharpie shirt yeah, that says Alan Bowman Heisman campaign? That's what I no, thought you were not. wearing. Okay, my, my fault. <laughs> I, I, it must have been your Spencer one that you were repurposing. must be laundry day. That's no. in the trash. <laughs> it, it is. I, Dude, I'm ready. I want it to work. I want it to be great. I want to believe badly. She's got to show me. And it's going to be a long eight months because I'm pumped. I am excited. I think it, it does breathe some new energy into the program. New quarterback. A new opportunity. So I think people should be excited. I think there's also room for some cautious, you know, uh, proceedings as we get through the transfer portal uh, and and into the offseason. So definitely agree. Thanks, everybody, so much for the questions. Sorry we couldn't get to them all. It's our fault again for talking too long, but we really appreciate it. Makes us feel great. Love the kind words and love any sport question you know obviously we're not experts in everything but love getting the basketball questions thrown in here as well absolutely we appreciate it as always we're thankful that this is part of your week and uh that you want to engage with us on the show so please keep doing it um it was like 18 something twitter questions this week so thank you for doing that we'll need to start a new podcast if we're going to do that so if you're not already be sure to follow us on Twitter at feels like 45 pod. You can follow us on Instagram there as well. You can follow Dustin at dust ragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you guys back here next week. Hopefully with a Cowboy win over Baylor and Waco. We'll see you then go folks.